0: corporation for public broadcasting the grammy foundation the ford foundation the internet archive other minds archives and partnerships with uc berkeley moffett library the internet archive other minds archives and our supporters are pacifica members our theme music is by kevin drum holiday thanks for listening and keeping our film history alive
1: listening to KBOO Portland. My name is Josh Tucker. I'm a freelance journalist based in Chile, and I've been working here for more than four years for organizations like Democracy Now!, Discovery Channel, Intercontinental Cry, and Unicorn. It's a real pleasure. I'm always happy to to report for KBOO, and I I hope people support their community radio station. Journalists like me can't do our work without the support uh, of communities and not corporations. So thank you so much for for supporting KABU.
2: Today on Wings, we continue our retrospective on the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women, which took place in China 25 years ago this month, from August 30th through September 15th,
0: 1995. There's a river of birds in migration, on nation.
2: Welcome to WINGS, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world, produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Just as in 1975 at the first UN World Conference on Women, governments use this fourth conference to project an image. Julie Drizen of Pacifica Radio News looks at China's.
1: The press packet that I picked up when I registered has a series, probably about 25 different pamphlets from the Chinese government. This is the image they want to project. There's a little pamphlet on Chinese women active in political life and uh, Chinese women athletics. And they consider themselves as a communist country to have uh, complete equality between men and women. And they're very proud of that. But the final statement really is here that the ultimate duty of Chinese women is as a daughter, wife, and mother i think that any government that would be sponsoring an event like this including ours would put out tremendous amount of propaganda i will say however that i've read through some of the propaganda the united states has put out and it's incredibly progressive i mean i can see why people like bob dole and the concerned women for america and other right-wing christian groups and catholic groups are very frightened and and uh threatened by the kind of stuff that's coming out of the clinton administration here because for the most part it is pretty hardcore, real feminism, total equality for men and women. Of course, they've had to be very careful. They have had to answer all sorts of questions about the conference being anti-family, and um, there are some members of Christian right groups who are here to continually raise that issue and that specter.
2: Two recent U.N. conferences had energized the religious right. The World Conference on Human Rights in 1993, where Hillary Clinton had famously asserted that women's rights are human rights, and the World Conference on Population and Development in 1994, which affirmed women's right to sexual and reproductive choices. In the midterm elections of 1994, both houses of the U.S. Congress switched from Democrat to Republican, leaving the Clinton administration with no power base for keeping its feminist-leaning promises to the world. Shortly after that new Congress took power, international feminists held a vigil in Copenhagen on March 8, 1995, at the United Nations Social Development Summit. Maria Suarez of Feminist International Radio Endeavor reported for WINGS. It
3: was Copenhagen in 1915, the city where the 8th of March became International Women's Day. And today, 80 years later, over 1,000 women representing their different organizations gathered with a candlelight vigil. And the declaration about the key issues towards Beijing, the Fourth World Conference, which will be holding governments accountable to the areas of financial and institutional support for women's empowerment.
2: Also at the Copenhagen Social Summit, U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton announced a U.S. initiative for women's literacy training, which was praised by the director of the United Nations Population Fund, Dr. Nafis Sadiq.
4: Women in developing countries suffer some of the worst poverty. They have the least power to make decisions about their lives, and they are given the least education. The initiative announced by Mrs. Clinton addresses this situation. Setting aside $100 million, it aims at a 20% increase in girls' completion of primary school or in project areas, a 20% increase in the number of women who are functionally literate. By taking this step, the First Lady has set an example for the rest of the international community.
2: Unfortunately, when I tracked down a press release on the Women's Literacy Initiative from the State Department, it proved to be more rhetoric than fact. First, the alleged $100 million represented no new funds. Second, the figure is from a 10-year budget projection already made by the U.S. Agency for International Development. Third, although women are about 70% of the world's illiterates, USAID is allocating less than 11% of its basic education budget for the Female Literacy Project. For 1995, the project was budgeted at 11.7 million, or 9% of its basic education funds for the year. Fourth, for 1996 and beyond, the project's funds are not secure especially since the Congress is targeting USAID for reorganization and cuts in development assistance. Finally, the female literacy funds were targeted to very few countries that could scarcely achieve a 20% increase in women's literacy in the world. After the mainstream press let these discrepancies pass without comment, the First Lady went on to repeat her pledge during her tour to meet women in developing countries. And at last, the alleged $100 million pledge became a major item in the U.S.'s list of commitments during the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women.
4: Money is power. It is well known that those with economic power control others, both at international, regional, and national levels.
2: Wandira Speziosa Kozibwe, Uganda's Vice President and Minister of Community Development, was one of many delegates to the Fourth World Conference on Women who quarreled with the United States' position about money. The U.S. delegation was under instructions not to agree to any commitment of new or additional funds for implementing the Platform for Action a position that, to many delegates, rendered the carefully negotiated 12-point platform for action almost
4: meaningless. All this needs money, money at the international level, money at the regional level, money at the national level, at the village level. But when it comes to the woman, money in her purse, money in her handbag. I'm very interested in seeing women with money, women handling programs and projects that go in the millions, in the billions, not $10, not $50, (laughs) not $100. Throughout
2: 1995, the Republican Congress used U.S. welfare recipients as their symbol for citizens who should not be entitled to receive funds from the federal government.
3: You know, there's nothing wrong with free money. The rich get it all the time and are living great. We say there just isn't enough of it. Renee Pico, a
2: welfare recipient who is on the board of the Women's Economic Agenda Project.
3: Every entitlement for welfare across this country is below the poverty level. In California now, women are living at 56% of the poverty level for a state that is, you know, seventh of wealth in the world. I take care of four children and myself. And I'm given eight hundred and twenty-four dollars a month and two hundred and fifty dollars in food stamps. For a family of four in California, where the rent of a two-bedroom house is six hundred and fifty dollars. We can see that sixty to eighty percent of all the grants go just on housing alone in a state that doesn't have, you know, low income housing. They have purposely kept it out of California. And then with the food stamps added in, we're living at about 70% of the poverty level. And in California, with the prices of food so high, $250 will last you about two and a half weeks. And you are actually struggling the other two and a half weeks you know, trying to find out who give who gives away food, or eating at soup kitchens like St. Vincent de Paul to try and make it last, and they're even trying to just eliminate it completely when there are no jobs either for mothers to have to get into the workforce, and not too much child care if you do get into the right work. exactly the cost of child care in the state it runs you about a minimum of seven hundred dollars for two children. That's why women are forced to either bring their child with them. We know women who have to have their children sit in the cars while they work or just leave them at home. The number of latchkey children in this country is horrifying. And no one is talking about this. Where is the decent, affordable child care? Why aren't our children a priority in this country? And it's just, if you don't have a job, you know, you can't eat. We are getting to those days here in America. Mm -hmm. And... We see that any country that spends more money building jails than they do building schools, that's a police state. Any time they talk about putting a policeman on every corner and are actually closing down schools, uh, criminalizing the youth, want to change the uh, death penalty to include 13-year-olds who they feel that if they do a crime that they have the right to, to die in you know, the electric chair now, that's straight out fascism. And every time, if they can cut aid to the blind, the able to disabled, I mean the blind, the elderly, and disabled, and shift it into paying for guards to watch over prison and prison building, that's a fascist state. What's going to stop crime in America is give people jobs, and then you won't see any, any any crime. In times in good economic times when folks had jobs, they could take care of their families, crime was very low. And we will not sit back and let them tell us that the answer to poverty now is jail. And that's fascism, <laughs> right? Big business is, are getting contracts to build these prisons. They're getting contracts to work prisoners in industries where they don't have to pay them, or they'll pay them 50 cents an hour, even worse, less than what we exploit the workers in Mexico for. And the ones who are coming out on top are the ones who own these businesses, who are reaping the profits, who can sell it back, you know, at a high price, and don't have to pay for labor because the taxpayers are actually paying for it by supporting these prisons, by tax dollars going into these prisons. My son himself has three felonies, um, which is not you know, surprising. I live in one of the poorest neighborhoods where kids deal drugs just to live and survive and paying for their brothers and sisters you know, to have food. Um, he was able to get three felonies within 18 months. And you know, I'm fighting to keep him out of prison. He's 16 and he was just placed in a group home last week. And we've got to expose you know, that these group homes are getting two, $3,000 a month per child. While I was getting $100 to keep him off the streets, to try and keep him in activity, to get turn his attentions other places, and plus keep him in a school that they're trying to close down because kids just don't have the interest in education. They don't see the future in it, and uh, they know that they're under attack, and, and they are not the thought of as the future in this country. On Wings, you're listening to
2: Voices from 1995, marking the 25th anniversary of the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women. Within a year, the U.S. would make sharp cuts to social supports for its needy families. As communism fell in Russia and Eastern Europe, women were hit with massive economic shocks. Ellen Diederich, a German peace activist, saw that in her own country and along the route of the women's peace train she rode to the UN Fourth World Conference on
5: Women in China there was an initiative of a women's peace organization wilp to take a train to take a women's peace train from helsinki to beijing and i went on this train we were we were travelling about 22 days from helsinki to beijing we did stops in nine different countries mostly the former socialist countries like in in russia in the ukraine in bulgaria romania etc but also in turkey and then in kazakhstan and then we went all across china and we tried to to talk to women along the road and the picture i got was really shocking i mean the other former socialist countries the situation is even worse than in in ddr because they don't have um i mean west germany is supporting this part of the country very strongly in rebuilding houses and everything you can imagine. But uh, in the other socialist countries, they don't have this support. And so uh, I got a shocking picture that especially the situation of women has become absolutely worse. Uh, above all criticism we have had to the former socialist countries there was one thing which was really good women had a good education even more percent of the students were women than were men and it was all across these countries that the majority of the doctors were women, teachers, etc. But today it's not possible for these women to live on their profession anymore because the prices have increased terribly and uh, for instance the monthly income of a woman, let's say a teacher at the school is about $50 and a kilo of bread is about 60 cents. And uh, the rent of a two-room apartment would be about $20. So you can imagine on what women are living. And besides that, many social services have been cut, like in, in summer times, children had the possibilities to go to summer camps, etc. Today, a summer camp for a child would be two months' salaries, so there are very few people who can afford this anymore. And I saw all across Eastern Europe and also in Kazakhstan many women try to survive by trying to go to Poland, trying to go to DDR to buy western stuff like washing powder etc etc and then selling it in Eastern Europe. The most tragic situation I've seen was the situation of old women. I mean the pension is so low and it was heartbreaking really to see old women standing in the street with a little bowl of tomatoes or some dried fish and try to sell this to make their life because they cannot live on on their pension anymore. The figure that We got it in Romania, but also in the Ukraine, it's even higher. It's that about 72% of all women who get pregnant have abortion because the women facing a desperate situation, and uh, it's really falling apart. For instance, there's a city in Russia near Gorky, and the whole sewage system broke and the sewage water went into the drinking water. So they didn't have water for one million people. And I'm very afraid, especially also because of the nuclear thing, because there are lots of nuclear power plants and they are absolutely not safe. And uh, the Western countries are not providing safe systems. For instance, we had a nuclear power plant in East Germany, which was closed down. This uh, happened about two months ago, and now they have exported this nuclear power plant into into Hungary. I mean, it's not safe for East Germany, but they're exporting.
2: So they they shut down the nuclear power plant there, they took it apart, and they moved the same plant to Hungary that wasn't safe for Germany and now it's in Hungary, but close enough that a disaster would still affect Germany.
5: Absolutely. There are companies which make so much money out of it. It's a huge market which starts there, and this is part of the game. It was really a crash course to see how capitalism works, how quick everything which was worthwhile was grabbed, houses or so, and some people are, have become very rich, people from abroad but also people in the countries, and um, there's a lot of criminality growing in Eastern Europe, and especially the women were reporting to us that violence has so deeply and so much increased because uh, if the social question is not solved there there is a growing violence of course all the women were saying before they had never they were never afraid to go out in the night or so and this is tremendously um, changed but also the violence at home and uh, so almost on every place they were asking us uh, how did you do it with the Center for Bettered Women, Houses for better Women etc and also the drug problem has become very big and um, what the women were saying is that they didn't have for instance these violent films before which are now mostly from the united states i mean all these fighting stuff etc and um, the other point which really is frightening is the growing nationalism which we saw very strongly in former yugoslavia i couldn't believe it in in such a short time how nationalism was has grown there even the feminist movement was was really bro- uh, broke upon the na- the national questions and the only explanation i have is that really that people have been thrown from one system into another one for which they were not prepared so so they try to to hold on to something and so they uh, they go back to what they think are their roots discovering their national writers and this and so so we see all these these armed conflicts or even wars going on in chechnya in in georgia in azerbaijan etc and i think this is only the beginning because it will be a really a struggle about on one hand for the markets on the other hand for development in taking part of what would we would call western standards or so In Germany, where she lives, Ellen
2: Diederich got a close-up view of the losses that surprised East German women when the
5: Berlin Wall fell. The former German Democratic Republic had one of the highest employment of women. They had 95% of all women were employed. The majority of doctors were women. About 40% of the engineers, technical engineers, were women. They had absolutely brilliant laws. For instance, one year maternity leave after giving birth. I mean paid maternity leave, full paid. and Then they could stay two more years at home getting a kind of social support, and they had the right to get the same job back if they wanted to after three years' maternity leave. So we were confronted with a lot of um, really different women support systems.
2: Well, it was my understanding that, at least at the beginning, these support systems were sort of ripped away mm-hmm. and that everything was equalized, so to speak, in the way that the West German law and social conditions had it. Are you saying that then, in the long run, these expectations that those women had in their experiences are having an impact on the way women in all of Germany are being treated?
5: You're absolutely right. Most of the things, laws, etc., which provides a good life for women, have been cut down. in in East Germany. You can see this very easily. For instance, it's a terrible indication that the birth rate in East Germany went down 70%. So before, families had two, three, or four children, and now women don't feel secure anymore. And always, when you have a social crisis, women are the first ones who lose the jobs. And the unemployment among women in former DDR is about 45% now. But nevertheless, the ideas and what they had achieved is still there. I mean, they lived it for so many years. So the demands are a part of the structures into all political parties now, because of course uh, the parties also have members from East Germany. And the women were very conscious about what they what they had before. And for instance, the woman who is the minister of women affairs in Germany, she is from DDR also. And even if she is, I would say, not very feminist, edu- in educated in a feminist way, but nevertheless, there is a standpoint, we had this. We had child care for every child. We had meals for every child in the school. So women could really go to work and not worrying so much like we usually have to do in, in our country. So uh, there are many interlinks between the two different sides of Germany, and the demands of women are very strong.
2: Ellen Diederich from Germany rode the women's peace train to the Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing, China, in 1995.
0: Here's Diane
2: Bailey from UN Radio Women.
0: Greta Birgit, Norway's Minister of Children and Family Affairs, told delegates that nearly half the members of government of Norway are women. At first this new government appeared strange to many Norwegians, but now they have become used to it. Such a change, the Norwegian minister emphasized, does not come about by itself, rather it requires political will, sometimes in the form of quotas or affirmative action. At first quotas were controversial, as they still are in many countries. By now they are widely accepted because we have seen the good results. We have never been accused of having to elect less qualified women simply because they are women. There are plenty of talented and qualified women around. Quota systems simply mean that you have to look a little bit harder. Miss Birgit also stressed that women in political posts in Norway continue to give high priority to a number of issues of concern to women everywhere, such as how to strengthen the family and safeguard the welfare of children. Meanwhile, according to the Prime Minister Gro Harlem Brundtland, the notion of women in government has now become a part of everyday life. When I first became Prime Minister 15 years ago, it was a cultural shock to many Norwegians Today, 15 years later, four-year-olds sometimes ask their mothers, but can a man be prime minister? (laughs) The Beijing conference also dealt with the issue of poverty and the importance of putting value on the work women do both in and outside of the home. One of the highlights of the conference was the agreement by governments to accept the value of such work. It didn't come easy, however. It was thanks to the influence exerted on the work of the conference by NGOs.
2: Non-governmental lobbyists were very active at the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women, especially around the controversial issue of counting women's unwaged work in the home, on the land, and in the community. At the Beijing Conference Center, where the plan of action was being forged, I ran across about a dozen members of the Women Count Network standing in the hall. The language about measuring and valuing unwaged work in national accounts had been sent to a closed contact group from which lobbyists were excluded. They met yesterday. They met this morning. They're meeting now. And
6: it still has not been decided. Margaretta Darcy. So it's a bit like a labor ward. And it's the kind of reversal of the roles. So we're outside waiting for the midwives to come along and tell us about whether we're going to have a nice, bonny, bouncy, revolutionary baby or whether we're going to have some kind of nasty little thing that we don't know where it came from.
2: Ten years ago, when the idea of counting women's unwaged work was first introduced, all the nations at the Third World Conference on Women in Nairobi agreed that it should be counted in the gross national product of every country. But by the time the Fourth World Conference neared, some countries had second thoughts. The United States moved during the final preparatory conference to oppose the count. Intense lobbying by the Women Count Network convinced the US to support counting once again, but only if the figures stayed in so-called satellite accounts and were not added to the GNP. One of the problems counting women's unwaged work could cause the U.S. and other countries is that it could show how macroeconomic decisions, like the World Bank's structural adjustment policies, create more work for women. Whenever there are funding cuts in social services or when the value of a family's earnings falls, it's the women who are expected to take up the slack.
6: Constantly, is what they're wanting is women to do more and more work and to increase productivity, whatever that means, while ignoring the real productivity and the cultural productivity that we want to be measured and valued.
2: So the time that women spend talking to children, for instance, is important cultural work that that, that, that nobody values? Nobody
6: values at all, because I mean, the language is actually transmitted from the mother to the child, the stories. And also, of course, the other role that women have, which isn't such a good one, is they're also the cultural police force in the family. The mother who says to the child how to behave. The mother who says what time the child comes home, who the child should speak to. And she certainly should be paid for that, when I mean, considering how much the kind of military and the police get.
2: The final Beijing platform for action states that governments shall improve data collection on women's unpaid agricultural work and shall use methods like time use studies to develop quantitative assessments of work like caring for dependents and preparing food. The terms for these valuations are to be consistent with core national accounts, such as GNP, even if they aren't inside them. Surprisingly, the main country that had objected to counting women's unwaged work was Sweden. Reportedly, they were reasoning that if we count the work, women will want to be paid for it. I'm Frieda Worden for the Women's International News Gathering Service. We're gonna keep up.
4: on moving forward, gonna keep on moving forward, never turning
1: back, never turning
2: back. This was part two of a series marking the 25th anniversary of the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women held in China from August 30th through September 15th, 1995. Scholars may be interested in some 50 hours of audio Wings recorded at this conference. For more information, email wings at wings.org. Thanks to all our supporters, including Genevieve Vaughan, editor of the book Women and the Gift Economy. The Wings sound logo is from Libana's album A Circle Is Cast. This is the Women's International, news
1: gathering service you are tuned into listener supported community radio kboo portland
0: donate to kboo support kboo give to kboo now help kboo reach our fall fundraising goal of eighty thousand dollars got some extra funds you can donate right now then go to kboo.fm today and click on the donate button Join the thousands of KABU members who believe in volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio
4: today.
5: Well, it's 10.30, and so it's once again time for Film at 11. Hello, everybody. This is DK Home with another episode of the weekly movie review program. This week, I'll give a quick survey of some recent additions to cinema streaming, then turn the reins over to Jeff, Britta, and Matthew for more offerings. First off, Tenet is the long-awaited Christopher
0: Nolan movie.